Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon, and welcome to Money Talk. Happy New Year. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Coming up on our 29th anniversary next month, this is the last broadcast of 2023. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience download podcasts of previous shows, and you can go to the free app SoundCloud and do the same thing. This Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. I take today's calls first, and then today's text second, and if any other texts I haven't fully covered, then those. It's a great idea to start at the beginning of the show with your call or text at 512-836-0590. Here's a text that just came in. Let's just see what this says. Hello, Carl. I've heard predictions that in the next decade, bond funds may outperform equity. Your thoughts? I wonder if another bout of inflation and Fed raising rates might thwart that. Thanks for your insights, Mark and Round Rock. Well, if we had another bout of inflation and the Fed responded, which I think we know they would, Uh, by raising rates, yes, that would put downward pressure on bonds. There's no question about that. However, there's a lot of history that indicate that when you have a Fed tightening cycle like we've had, and we've had a really strong one, I mean, from basically zero to over five and a half percent, five and a quarter, five and a half percent Fed funds rate, that once that increasing cycle stops, and you look at the return on what we call core bonds, we can use the Bloomberg Ag as an example, the returns over the next period of time tend to be extremely fantastic. In fact, I happen to have here my handy piece of paper that says, after the Fed hikes ended, stocks and bonds have historically outpaced cash. And we know right now cash is a winner after being a loser for so many years with money market funds paying 5%, CDs paying 5 and more. And it says one year following the final Fed hike, cash returned 4.7%. And five years following, cash returned 3.2%. This is over a long period of time. This goes back to March of 1995, the following tightening cycles. March of 95. June of 2000, July of 20, 2006, and, uh, and, tw- and January of 2019. Core bonds, which are the ones I'm talking about, so these are not high-yield bonds, and they're not treasury bills. They're that intermediate-term core bond. The one-year return has been 10.1%, and the five-year return has been 7.1%, which is pretty spectacular for bonds. Stocks... The one-year return is 16.2, and the five-year return 9%. And if you had the classic 60% stock, 40% bond, your one-year return was 14.2%, and your five-year return was 8.4%. Those are all really attractive returns. So I think that's probably behind 
with what you're reading and hearing, Mark, is bonds did so poorly for so long. Well, that's not accurate. In a period of declining interest rates, bond looked great because you were getting less and less in the way of current income, but your bond fund, if that's what you owned, was appreciating, so your total return was quite attractive. And finally, that came to an end, and of course, last year, 2022, was a terrible year for bonds with the Bloomberg Ag down about 13-plus percent. So you'd have to believe that inflation is coming back and the Fed would then raise rates. If that's not the case, and if what the market thinks is going to happen is that the Fed has finished raising rates and will begin to lower rates perhaps in the second half of 2024, that's where you're getting these kinds of predictions about bonds. And we've had a terrific year in stocks. More about that perhaps later this afternoon. And so bonds could bonds outperform stocks? Yes. The data I just shared with you would indicate that's not the case, that stocks as well as bonds do very well. Now, that's not what we call a risk-adjusted return because obviously you're taking greater risk with your equity portion of your portfolio. So I have been, and if you're a regular listener, you know this, I've been more positive on bonds in the last half, oh, I'd say six to nine months, moving more money into bonds after an underweighting, uh, just because rates had gotten so low, I certainly didn't see what was going to happen last year or what's happened in the last part of this year where bonds have done exceedingly well. So my sense is I wouldn't change my asset allocation by overweighting bonds versus stocks, but if I were in cash as a defensive position, I think I would be moving that money into bonds. Thanks for the thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I got a call last week, and perhaps it was a text, where someone had sold, I believe, a personal residence, and have, and that had that had knocked them into a higher premium on their Medicare, which was being taken out of their Social Security, the so-called IRMA, I-R-M-A-A. And I said that I had this recollection from a previous show. It's benefited doing it 29 years, if I can remember anything beyond what I had for lunch, that uh, there is a form you can fill out with the IRS to attempt to get those your tax uh, liability down because it was a, an extraordinary year. It wasn't something where all of a sudden you jumped into a higher income tax bracket for perpetuity. Our long-term listener and friend Bob in Arlington wrote me this email after the broadcast. I think your caller can appeal his IRMA determination, but I would not, underline not, bet on it being successful. They accept appeals based on, quote, life-changing events. I think most of these are appealing to go to, to the subject years. So here's the Social Security considers any of the following situations to be life-changing events. Death of a spouse, marriage, divorce or annulment, you or your spouse stopping working or reducing the number of hours you work, involuntary loss of income-producing property due to a natural disaster, disease, fraud, or other circumstances, loss of a pension, receipt of a settlement payment from a current or former employer due to the employer's closure or bankruptcy. So he said, I doubt that, oops, I got a one-time capital gain, counts. 
So I just wanted to add that to you, to let you know that's uh, what Bob went and looked, and I would thank you, Bob, for doing that. You're listening to Money Talk. It's time for me to take a break. It's a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart. We're here this afternoon until 5, and when you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. I believe I have. Yes, I do. Joe from Leander, you're on the air. How may I help? Eric, I apologize. Eric, you're on the air. I was about to say, I'm like, okay, well, there must have been a caller before me. It must have been, uh, yeah. But go ahead, please. <laughs> well, Mr. Beloviate, Happy New Year, first of all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I've uh, been listening off and on to your show uh, whenever, you know, uh, schedule sure. permits and stuff like that. And uh, I have a kind of a kind of a question because I'm like, I'm in a real quandary here and I'm sure I'm probably not alone in this. Um, I'm a Gen Xer basically, and I've, you know, worked a lot of contracts. So therefore, you know, income has not been all that, uh, you know, uh, has not been all that consistent over the years. Yeah. Um, and so therefore it's been very hard to, you know, put aside savings and so yeah. forth and so on. But now, considering the fact that, um, you know, 2024 is coming up and uh, thanks to buy damn tech economics, as I call it, um, and inflation and so forth and so on, um, I'm having to cut into my savings, which, you know, I got a settlement a few years ago that was a nice nest egg and stuff like that. But my cash flow has gone seriously negative because of this. Um, and I've been looking at, you know, say, uh, the different uh, uh, different investment vehicles such as precious metals, um, stuff like that. I've been looking into real estate, um, you know, investing. Um, however, uh, some people, you know, that that are in that real estate investment business, and I'm not talking about any of your weekend colleagues, um, you know, have gotten real salesy, high pressure. They want tens of thousands up front, so forth and so on. And I'm like going, okay, what the heck do I do? Instead of just, you know, I, you know, I mean, it looks like I'm going to have to get a second job, even though I'm working the highest paying job right now that I've ever had. Yeah. Um, what would I do? Yeah. I mean, if you sure. were in my situation, what would you sure. do? Sure. Let me ask you a few questions. First of all, sure. uh, how old are you? 51. Okay. And, um, I take it that you don't have any uh, IRA or 401k or anything like that, any of tax-deferred savings going on? No, no, I sure don't. Okay. And let's talk about the liability side of your balance sheet. Do you have, uh, are you, do you rent or do you own your home? I uh, just, I, I bought a house um, just before the interest rates went way up. Um, so I've been living in my house about uh, six or seven months now. Okay. So. And what's the outstanding amount of the mortgage, more or less? Uh, about uh, 390000 Okay. And what's the interest rate on that, Eric? Uh, 6.25. Okay. 6.25. Do you have credit card debt? No, I don't. And do you have any automobile debt? Uh, no automobile doubt, but I do have some home improvement loans. Okay. 
And you are those floating rate probably? They're, are they not a fixed rate? Are they interest rate? Do you know? Um, they are fixed rates. Um, okay. However, they're you know like one loan is like nine point nine nine percent. So I'm thinking about going to my bank and saying, hey, you know, I've got all yeah. these loans that are higher than the prime rate. Um, I want to go ahead and consolidate these yeah. and see if I can get it down yeah. to a lower yeah. lower uh, yeah. payment. So yeah. Well, the reason I ask all these questions sure. is that one way to increase your worth is to reduce your liabilities. It has the same impact as increasing your imp- your your assets. And if you have the ability to get a more uh, attractive rate on that home improvement debt, then, then you want to do that. You're probably not in a position to think about investment real estate because that takes on more debt. You don't have, you're not in a position to pay cash for a rental property, number one. Right. Secondly, you're working hard and you're likely going to have a second job. What I've observed over the last 45 years is that the people who are successful in rental properties are real hands-on kind of people. They don't have a property management uh, company, they're they're collecting the rent, they're fixing things, they're very much hands-on because there's one thing you can't control on a, on a rental property, and that's the rent, because the marketplace drives that. I mean, it was just uh, right now rents are down about five percent plus from a year ago in in the general Austin area, and that's not because there are fewer people; it's because there's a significant increase in supply, multifamily, and that's continuing to occur. You can't control the property taxes, and you can't control the you can't control uh, the rents. And because you don't live in it, the interest rate on the debt is going to be higher than it will be on your personal residence. So when you add all of that up, it doesn't look very attractive. At, you know, at, at this at, you know at this with your situation, and right. and so what that you're left with are traditional investments, ones mm-hmm. that will go up and down, but will deliver inflation beating returns over time and really the only two that have done that consistently throughout your lifetime and mine which is longer than yours have been income producing properties and common stocks that's it not cds not money market funds not bonds and so the fact is that you don't have if if you if you're having to dip into savings to live on then you're not in a position to generate cash flow to invest. What right. you you know if you if you were if I were in your shoes, I would uh-huh. do the two things that you have mentioned in this call. I would see if I could lower the interest costs on my home improvement loans, and uh-huh. I would get a second job because you want to you want to absolutely stop the slide first before you right. think about trying to accumulate assets. But okay. a person who's working. Two jobs is not a person who ought to be buying a rental property. And you're right. right. You've never met some of these people in real estate who never thought it was, it's always a good time to buy or it's always a good time to sell. And that's not, I'm not talking about everybody, but about the people you're encountering. So I'd run away as fast as I could from real estate in your situation. I get that second job. I quit the, I'd stop the bleeding on the cash flow side. Then and only then, I would mm-hmm. begin to start a very modest amount where I would be investing every month a little bit that I could do, and I would take something very cheap and inexpensive. I go to a company like Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, and I would pick one of their index funds, probably a Standard & Poor 500 index fund or a total stock market index fund, 
I would put a little bit in. I'd have it automatically withdrawn out of my checking or savings account so I don't have to think about it. And that's mm-hmm. how you begin to build financial independence. At the same time, you're building equity in your home. And while mm-hmm. home prices are down year over year in the greater Austin area, they've certainly gone up over time. And it's reasonable to think at some future date you'll have significant equity in the house. I, that's, right. so that's, that's my bottom line advice, Eric. Okay, so uh, basically my, my thinking is pretty much correct. Um, so, yes. but, you know, another question that I have is is that there is a program called uh, Debt Free for Life, which is essentially a, you know, where you invest a, a certain portion uh, of your income, uh, like say 800 or so a month, and it's supposed to be compounding interest and it's supposed to allow you to pay off debts quicker and stuff like that. Um, have you heard anything about that and what are your thoughts about that? My first thought is it sounds too good to be true. Um, okay. And so generally, my experience is if it sounds that way, it is. got to ask, why is someone doing this? What's in it for them? And if they're charging you a fee and they're loaning you and, and you're giving them money, then how is that better than you doing it yourself? I, I'm, I color me extremely skeptical. I'd, I'd really want to do, if I were you, I'd really want to do my due diligence because it sounds it sounds a little it sounds a little stinky to me, frankly. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Well, uh, then I'll keep asking questions about that. And stuff like you that. bet. That's the thing. Thank to you do. so much. I appreciate you it. Bet. And happy New Year. You as well. Thanks for calling. Stinky. That's a really highly analytical comment. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, I inadvertently missed a small RMD this year. How do I remedy the problem on my taxes? I understand the penalty for not taking it has been reduced from 50% to 25% as a result of Secure Act .20. Well, you're ahead of me on that, and that's good news because, yes, the penalty is still extremely high at 25%. And how you remedy that is you know it's already that's the case, and so you go to your custodian on your IRA or your SEP IRA, uh, and you go to your custodian, and you tell them you want that, and they're going to code that uh, as uh, a required minimum, as, re- as a distribution, is on my understanding, as a distribution in 2024. And then they're going to report, because they have to, that you have an RMD in 2023, and then you're not going to have the record 1099 or whatever the form is when you do your taxes. And the IRS will match those up and say, uh-oh, your custodian reported that you had an RMD obligation, but you did not take it, and then you will end up with the with the, the penalty. I don't, as I think this through, since the penalty is already there, I don't know there's a benefit to taking the money out now in 2024. The penalty, you you probably ought to talk to the custodian. You're going to pay the penalty. I suppose you should take the money out. But you're going to pay the penalty regardless, and I hope you're right that it's 25%. So the first thing you should do is you say, how do you remedy it? The way you remedy it is you go talk to the custodian, find out what they have uh, to say, and then if you have an accountant or a CPA, I would talk to her as well. Good luck. Thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's just see here. I think I've got another text coming in. Here we go. Carl, 
likely to retire this coming year, I'm considering creating a one, two, and three-year fixed annuity ladder with a portion of my cash as opposed to a CD ladder. Ah, this is an interesting question. It's also 29 minutes after the hour, so it's time for me to take a break. I'll come back, answer that question, any additional ones if you call or text 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Go there at your convenience, download podcasts of previous shows, or go to the free app SoundCloud on your phone. You can do the same thing. And then this Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. I overlooked this text. I'm going to take these in order, so let me go back to this one from Mark. If I'm thinking of selling my house in the next 18 to 20 months, would you think waiting till the spring of 2025 would be better than this coming spring? The estimate sales price would be in the low $2 million range. Well, I think the single biggest factor will be interest rates. Uh, and if you are only appealing to cash buyers, uh, that's a different thing. But in talking with realtors, at the very high end, which would be higher than the $2 million and maybe $5 million and above, that that can be a robust market because there's so little in the way of supply and because the buyers are not borrowing money. But I was listening the other day and to give an example of what impact interest rates have. A family earning $100,000 when interest rates were lower could afford a $400,000 house. And today, with interest rates being where they are, they can afford a $300,000 house. Now, stop and think about that. So that's talking about a house that's 25% lower in price. So when you start talking about $2 million at 6-plus percent versus 3%, it's a big deal. So I think the odds are that interest rates will be lower in the future than they are today. And if you're not a forced seller, which you're not, and you've got 18 to 20 months, I wouldn't be in a big hurry. Uh, I think that lower interest rates will bring more demand. And because of the relative shortage of supply in the listening area of uh, single-family dwellings at your price range, I think that if I were in your shoes, since you have the time, I would probably wait. Great question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Chris, you're on the air. How may I help? Oh, Carl. Hi. If I sound a little thick-tongued, it's because I've finished my second and final beer of the day. <laughs> Heading into you dry know, January. You know, fork. Oh, no. Oh, man. Come on. You got another day. You need to stack, you know, stock up. <laughs> well, we're going to drink 24 beers tomorrow. 
All right. Carl, the question I would like to ask you. Yeah. I have been getting uh, entreaties mm-hmm. from various groups mm-hmm. on charitable annuities. Yeah. And as a corollary, I've also gotten the same entreaties for charitable trusts. Yeah. I've read about these. I've gotten the offers in the mail, and I think that's just because I'm ancient now. But um, yeah, I have read about annuities for years. I don't like them. Yeah, I have seen some of them work well. Yes, on the annuities, this strikes me as a way to make people feel good. Yes, and raise revenue for the charitable institutions. Same thing with the uh, trust, and as far as the trust go, I've gotten offers from them, from everybody from Harvard Medical to the NRA, sure, and a lot of groups, a lot of religious groups. Yes. What I'm wondering is, <clears throat> I do think that these things are revenue-driven. They're to raise money, which is fine, but what do you think of the feasibility of sure. this for the individual? Sure. May I... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, hang up and listen to you, please. Sure. Okay, good. Go pop another one. <laughs> Happy New Year. New Year. No, that was my final one. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So uh, for several years, I was chair of the investment committee and then for several years chair of the board of uh, a billion-dollar foundation based in Dallas that was affiliated with uh, a, a church, a, deme- a church, enough said. And uh, our staff offered uh, charitable annuities. And the idea is, first of all, that the donor had charitable intent, that they really wanted to support the organization. And so they make a gift. It could be modest, like $10,000, or it could be large. And based upon their actuarial life expectancy, they get income. And when they die, the balance goes to the uh, goes to the charity. And we used to joke that if you wanted to live to be a hundred, do one of those. It's possible you outlive the um, the amount paid out is more than you put in. That's not your problem. That's the uh, charity's problem. So uh, they are not like uh, the annuities that you've heard bad things about. So as an instrument, I have no problem with charitable gift annuities whatsoever, particularly for people who uh, are dissatisfied with the return they're getting on their bond portfolio or their CDs, and they're in their 80s. I don't know what they could get, but they might get 7 8% or more. But remember, when they die, there's nothing goes to their heirs. It goes to the charity. So the charity absolutely wants people to do this because they want the remaining amount. The charitable remainder trust generally is somewhat of a similar concept. A lot of people use it if they have uh, appreciated property. But let's say you own uh, I mean, $2 million of NVIDIA stock, which was up 270%, and you give that to the charity, and based on, again, your actuarial life expectancy, you get a deduction for that. And you can also get income from that. And then upon your demise, the charity gets the balance. So charitable remainder trust tends to be a more complicated 
situation. And if you're just going to put cash in, you're probably just as well off to put it in a charitable gift annuity. So again, you have to have the charitable intent. And if you do, and you don't, and you're willing to give up the liquidity and know that it's not going to be included in your estate or go to your heirs, then frankly, there's really nothing wrong, wrong with it, in my opinion. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Jeff, you're on the air. How may I help? Well, Carl, since I've been one of those longtime guys that's listened to you and attended <laughs> classes, um, anytime you've talked about this particular subject, I wasn't never interested. I was never interested, right. so to speak. So it, I, I heard you. I heard your voice in the back, but it really wasn't registering because I had no interest in that portion. So sure. I'm, I'm, I'm asking about buying treasuries yeah. through, this, uh, tre- through the treasury system online. Yes. What are the ins and outs? Yes. Run, run for us, sure. run, or just, yeah. you know. Right. Well, it's funny that you would ask this because there's an article about this in today's Barron's Magazine. Treasury, you can can set up an account with Treasury Direct, probably treasurydirect.gov would be my guess, and you deposit money and you can buy 13-week, 26-week, and 52-week Treasury bills. You know that you get the best price because it's an auction and you get the same price as everybody else. And, of course, there's no markup, there's no commission, there's nothing like that. Uh, and Treasury bills for everybody else, uh, of course, had the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. You purchase them at a discount. So if you buy $10,000, it would be worth $10,000 at maturity. You would pay some amount less than $10,000. And the difference between what you paid for them and what they, and they mature is your rate of return, and that's interest income to you, of course, and it's taxable, of course, and if you're a Texas resident, there's no state tax on that. And so uh, that's how you do it. The article suggested that if you were going to buy Treasury uh, notes or bonds, which are maturities of longer than a year, it may not be the best deal because you may be able to go to a large broker dealer like a Charles Schwab or a Fidelity or a Vanguard, which has an inventory, and they may have uh, bonds that have been sold to them uh, that have even more attractive rates than buying them from Treasury Direct. But for the bills, uh, the article I read comports with what I've heard, which is it's very efficient, uh, it's inexpensive. Uh, I believe there may be you, you may not be able to turn around, you know, the same week and sell them, but you're not going to do that anyway. Uh, I think there's some waiting period, but it's irrelevant because it doesn't matter because you're not going to sell them. So if I were uh, interested in bills because short rates are so high right now uh, that I was looking, the two-year is, let me see if I wrote this down today. I think the two-year closed at a 4.248. That's the two-year note. So the two-year bill is probably even higher than that. So if I were to do it, I'd be very comfortable doing it with Treasury Direct if I were in your shoes. Okay, because now I'm fixing to go ahead and pull the trigger and start collecting yes. Social Security at 67. Yes. So I just – and I have some extra money just sitting yes. waiting from a inheritance, and I'm just thinking, okay, I, I don't want to put away a lot of it for at yeah. one time, but I thought maybe this is a way of trying to – 
at least capitalize on some of this little bit higher interest rates and the T-bills and stuff. Good. Good. Great idea. Good luck. Thank you, Carl. (laughs) You bet. Thank you. 512-836-0590. I've got a good input here from a CPA in Austin on that required minimum distribution question. One more reason for you to stick around. I'll be right back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. A lot of fun this afternoon. Great broadcast. Thanks for listening. I got this. Hi, Carl. I'm a CPA here in Austin. On the required minimum distribution question, they just need to take the distribution as soon as possible and then include a penalty waiver disclosure in the 2023 tax return filing. I've used several times and never had any pushback from the IRS. That's great information. I'm going to say this again. If you have missed taking your required minimum distribution, this person who's a CPA said, you just need to take the distribution as soon as possible, which means you could call on the second, call your custodian, and then include a penalty waiver disclosure. That sounds like a specific form in the 2023 tax return filing. This person, the CPA, said I've used it several times and never had any pushback from the IRS. So that's terrific. Thank you very much for that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I see I've got another one here. Let me see if I can find that. Yes. Carl, I'm likely retired this coming year. Ah, this is the one I started before one of our breaks. I'm considering creating a one, two, and three-year fixed annuity ladder with a portion of my cash as opposed to a CD ladder since rates are slightly higher and seemingly tax advantaged since annuity taxes are deferred. Please give me your thoughts. Thanks for your long-term advice. You're very welcome. Yes, uh, the annuity rate should be higher uh, because you're not buying uh, a federally insured instrument. You're buying an instrument that's guaranteed by the insurance company, so they ought to pay a bit more. Secondly, yes, you don't pay taxes on the income until you take the money out, so that's true. You're over 59 and a half, so you don't have to worry about a penalty when you take the money out, and you want to make sure about the surrender charge because the insurance company, rightfully, is in business to make money, and if they let you put money in earn a higher return than the CD, and in one year take it out and not have a surrender charge, I don't understand how they're going to make any money to speak of. So on the face of it, it looks fine to me, but I haven't, I'm haven't. i not an annuity expert, but years ago when I studied them, the fixed annuities you're talking about, they were safe as long as the insurance company was solid. But there was a surrender charge to discourage people from taking it out because there's some form of sales charge or other kind of fee involved. So be sure and dig into that before you go forward. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Carl Stewart, 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Almost Happy New Year, Carl. (laughs) Thank you. 
I'm looking at a few exchange-traded funds to invest in, like SPY, that is the uh, Spider S&P 500, ONEQ, which is the Fidelity NASDAQ exchange-traded fund, VTI, which is the Vanguard Total Stock Market, VUG, which I can't, I don't remember, I, I just don't know which that one is, but all seem to have similar top 10 holdings, which leads me to believe from a portfolio construction standpoint, they do not provide very much diversification. Any thoughts? That's a, that, well, first of all, it's a thoughtful question. I tend to use the VTI over the SPY only because it's got a lot more stocks in it. But having said that, these are market capitalization weighted. And so the big market cap stocks like the Magnificent Seven, the Teslas and Apples and Microsoft and NVIDIA and Google Alphabet and Meta are going to be highly uh, placed in both uh, uh, the VTI and the, S and the S&P 500. Now, some of those may be in the NASDAQ, which may be even more concentrated when you look at the returns. So, I think having an SPI and an VTI and an ONEQ, I wouldn't have both the SPY and the VTI. I'd pick one of those uh, because uh, I think there's too much overlap. You're right. I think the, the ONEQ is going to give you much more volatility. Uh, all you have to look at is that the, this year the ONEQ was up 45.7%, and last year it was down 32.12%. I actually did the math, and if you bought that at the beginning of 2022, you lost 32%, then this year you made 45%. You're still not back to even. You're down 11% from where you started. And if you bought it the year before, it was up 22%, then down 32 and then up 45 Well, you, you get whiplash on that guy. And your return is about 7% per year over those three years. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's, you, know, you just have to be careful because there's, uh, there's a lot of volatility. And I want to make sure that uh, you understand that. Now, I don't know what VUG is, but if I were going to build, if I wanted more exposure and more risk, I do the VTI and the ONEQ, uh, and also you didn't mention in there the international, as long as you're talking exchange-traded funds, uh, you can buy a diversified international. And again, everybody knows I don't make specific recommendations, but you could also, there's one out there called Vanguard International, it's VXUS, and that might be something that you want to take a look at as well. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's see if I have any other texts in here. I don't think I do. If I don't, I've just got a chance to bloviate a little bit. So I was just looking on a year-to-date basis. Luckily, the year for trading purposes was over yesterday. The VTI, 26.05%. The SPY, the S&P 500, 26.19. There's an example that even though the total stock market has a lot more stocks, because of that market capitalization weighted and because of the strong leadership of that Magnificent Seven, you're getting very, very similar returns. As I said, the ONEQ return was 457 
Then I look over at the bond market. And of course, in bonds, you don't expect as much dispersion among, say, core bond funds. So I always look at AGG, which is the iShares Bloomberg, and its total return was 5.65%. Then I look at what I believe is the largest bond fund, BND, which is Vanguard's ETF, 5.66, one basis point difference. And then I look at an actively managed core bond fund because the AG is considered a core bond and the BND, Vanguard, is considered core bond. So I look at an actively managed one just for fun to see if there's a lot of difference. There isn't. It happens right now for the year to be a bit more, 5.79, but that's only versus 5.65. Now remember, the active management is going to have more expenses, but this is net of expenses. The other thing I will say is showing us what we we call in a fancy fashion the inverted yield curve, where your short-term yields are more. I look at an actively managed, what Morningstar calls ultra-short, in the year-to-date, or the year returns, 5.98. And then also I look at a multi-sector actively managed, which means that the manager can go in lots of different areas, not a core bond fund, so it does have more risk. 9.21, which is a terrific return. And then I talked about this last week, but if you're a regular listener, you know I talked last year about how bad stocks and bonds, how badly stocks and bonds performed, and how last year managed futures or what's called systematic funds were up 16, 17, 18%. This year they went in the other direction. The two ones that I follow, the two that I follow are down roughly 4% and three and a quarter percent. And I think you can attribute that to the fact that we had this huge reversal in November when the Fed came out and said, well, we're not really going to raise rates in December. And what you saw was you saw bond prices skyrocket. You saw stocks go way up. And what happened was that they were on the other, they were on the other side of that. Now, cash returns, they're wonderful right now. But remember, they are fleeting, and if, in fact, in the second half of next year, the Fed does, in fact, reduce short-term interest rates, then the return you will get on your money market fund will return as well. So you need to keep that in mind. I think one of the big surprises of the year was how good the economy did. I think if you go back and try to maybe read the predictions at the beginning of 2023, I think it's fair to say that the majority of Wall Street economists anticipated a recession. Why? Because basically when the Fed raises interest rates, and boy, they raise them fast and and furious, you would expect to see a softening in the economy. You would see businesses would not only stop hiring but begin to lay people off. They laid people off the year before in high tech, but here we stand with the unemployment rate has fallen to 3.4%. We used to think at 5% was what was called full employment. That 3.4%, I couldn't believe this until I read it today in Barron's. That's the lowest level since 1969. That's right, since 1969. And the Treasury, as I mentioned earlier, the 10-year Treasury had gotten up to 5% a little bit earlier this year. Yesterday was at 386 And as, you, as I said to an earlier caller, the two-year was at a 424 And I think the other thing that you have to remember is that in 2022, when mostly stocks and bonds went down, it was a great year for energy. 
Well, Brent crude closed down 10% for the year at $77.04 a barrel. As you might imagine, the energy stocks did badly. And if you own gold, and and I'm talking here about an exchange-traded fund, the one I follow, again, no recommendation, IAU, was up 12.84%. So, really interesting year. I think uh, it's fun to have predictions, and you'll get a lot of them going now. But all you have to do is look at 2023 and say, well, we thought we were going to have a recession. It didn't happen. We thought the stock market would do poorly. The stock market did great. We had a lousy bond market in 2022. We had a good, not great, but a good bond market in 2023. So I would close out the year by saying, don't predict the future. Try to make sure that you understand the risk that you're taking. Don't chase returns. And be patient. I think if you do that, you'll be a happy person. I look forward to being with you next year. I want to thank Jack for doing a great job this afternoon and remind you next Saturday in January 2024 at 4 o'clock. Be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 